And by the way, I checked out your mixtape, and it's great. I know, it's fire, right? <laughs> but, uh... Get to the point. Point being... We're gonna work down it. We take what we want, and leave the rest. All culminating in me releasing my summer playlist. Great compilation tape. You could tell a lot about a person by what's on their playlist. So, um, what are you listening to? Uh, music. But tell me, do you enjoy music? What kind of music do you usually have here? There's a genre. Neutral. So, do you like stuff? We got the neutral crew tonight. We're talking about beef. I got my brother Anton and my boy Anthony in the house. Hey, it's Funky Man Anton. Thanks for having me. I'm ready to talk about beef, boys. Beef, beef, beef. So this episode, we're talking about beef and music. From the last few episodes, you've probably picked up on where quite a few of hip-hop heads here. So beef has been pretty predominant in the hip-hop culture. I wanted to see if there was maybe any other feuds we could dig up in other genres of music. So today, I'm challenging us all to find out what other drama we could dig up in the music industry with that yeah, music's a hell of a drug music's a hell of a drug thank you rick james i like it <laughs> i think it would be cool if we started with any hip-hop beef that stood out to us or that we found comical or intriguing as far as just general hip-hop beefs that are out there i mean i know there was the the jay-z and nas one i don't really know what that was about um doesn't everybody hate Nas? I love Nas yeah, what? over no, Jay Z. No, no, I mean, I mean, no, I mean, like, like, a person beef, like, no, doesn't Nas have beef with like everybody just has beef with Nas? And there's like, it's always, I never seen Nas take a hit. As he, he's always given every, you know, it's, everything gives out is good, you know, in Nas style. I just, every time I hear it, I always feel like Nas has someone, not someone has beef with Nas. I mean, uh, that's probably because they want to get their name out there. I have no idea. But yeah. No, I, I haven't heard of a lot of beef with Nas, but I know there was that. That's like a famous one, but I know that one was probably like fueled by media and, you know, record industry. Record labels, for sure. And I know they had, you know, I forget exactly what Jay-Z's verse was, but I know Nas came out with the... Um, the ether track that was pretty much fuck jay-z you know that was like the the chorus or whatever um which i actually thought ether was a great song but, <laughs> uh, and that was actually a retort to jay-z yeah. talking beef on his like hove album or something yeah i don't remember which which song it was on jay-z yeah. that he did it, but, um, but he tried to say he was the king of new york over nas and then nas was like who are you talking to clearly he's the king of new york quote unquote do you think beef is brought on to people that are overly confident? Well, okay, so let's let's take a different approach because I think I think maybe what maybe brought Nas into the forefront of this beef argument in the first place probably started was the Queensbridge Bronx Bridge beef originally. So you had KRS-One Bronx Bridge rappers, and you know that that crew rappers um, in a hardcore feud with the Queensbridge rappers. And 
well, really, you guys are like neighbors and you're only separated by a little waterway. Like, it's like us calling, you know, West Seattle shit just because there's a gap of water between us. So I don't really know the, the origin or who all was involved, but I know Nas was a part of that Queensbridge crew. He probably talked a lot of shit to KRS. And, yes. and that probably helped, you know, launch him into the forefront of this whole beef. Because KRS had a lot of clout back in the day. You know, he's from Jersey, I believe. Yeah. Um, if you've not heard of KRS, please he, look Yeah, no, he, he, I think, that, yeah, I mean, he, he, I don't think he did. He did found the, you know, was it Church of Hip Hop in Brooklyn, yep. I believe. Um, yeah. Well, it's in New Jersey, but. Or New Jersey, yeah, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, anyways, um, but that, you know, undoubtedly helped launch Nas a little bit to the forefront of just, in general, rappers, the forefront of rappers' lips kind of being like, oh, we got some Queensbridge rappers talking shit about our borough. Fuck those guys. Oh, especially Nas. And oh, shit, Nas blew up all of a sudden. Everyone's saying he's the best rapper alive. Well, fuck him even more. Kind of that mentality of like, he's getting hot. He's young. He doesn't have the, you know, the respect of being in this, you know, rap game for a long time, maybe. So this is this is hypothetical. I'm born in 1991. This is happening <laughs> 1996. So, so, uh, <laughs> this is even all, earlier, so, probably. Yeah, even earlier. So like, I, I have no idea, like with personal experience of any of this happening. <laughs> well, one thing that comes up, I look at it, it says how KRS One and MC Shane's Bridge Wars influenced Nas Illmatic. Yes, that I've heard before. The year is 1985, when Queens native MC Shane released the 12-inch single "The Bridge." A well-executed ode to his Queenbridge borough, featuring a, fo- a famous opening verse, and that's the song. Clapping back at Shane Karras want to release South Bronx. Well, I was just going to say, those are the only kind of two big ones that kind of stand and far, as far as rap goes on the top of my head. Well, there's there's others, and that, like, that brings me to, I guess, I can get into my section of what I researched as far as beefs go. They're rap beefs. Um, they're my favorite ones. What's going on, Anthony? So when you, when you say rap... I always feel like East Coast is hip hop and West Coast is rap or, or, oh, how no, do, no, or is no. that another I'm episode? That's another I'm episode. Using those interchangeably, I guess if you're defining terms, hip hop is a culture. It's more of like an, it's not even necessarily about the music. You can have hip hop clothing. You can have hip hop dance, dance. Yeah. There's just like, it's, it's a culture. Well, like you say, like you say, bro. So, you, so I might I might try to say yeah I might try to say hip hop artist or rapper those those are kind of interchangeable to me a little bit hip hop artist though could be even graffiti or clo- like I said clothing or something like that you know there's a, there's there's more more uh, inclusive but I'm yeah. I am generally in these contexts using it to mean a rapper yes. no, I like to say lifestyle yeah I like hip hop style lifestyle. Yeah, no, not specifically from West Coast to East Coast. That's they're all rappers in my mind. I mean, there's technically yes, there's there's subtleties. Actually, somebody listened to our last show and I misspoke on what's what Yeji I called her. I guess Ooh. a dubstep artist. And somebody's like, well, she's not really a dubstep. She's like Deep House. And I'm like, you know, I don't really care what <laughs> she labels herself as. When I hear the word dubstep, I'm hearing the origin of what dub is. Dub is like a reggae term for instrumental yeah. music. You know, step is an added like dance element to this instrumental music. So when I hear dubstep, I'm hearing dance music with no lyrics or light lyrics. You know what I'm saying? So when I people like have these different, oh, this is deep house electronic. It's like it is fucking electric dance music. I don't really care what they label themselves (laughs) as. They can call themselves whatever the fuck they want. Right. This is how I view it, and this is when I want to listen EDM. to electronic dance music. It's going to be Yeji. It's going to be fucking Crystal Castles. It's not going to be 
Nice. You know, I don't know. It's not going to be fucking Skrillex or because even though technically they're all, all electronic dance music, I, that's it's just a different version. And I'm sure they call themselves something different, but I go to this version of it. Yeah. You know, we're not viewing music in this super fine lens of trying to define what it is. It's and I got into this with Anthony in in the episode before. You know, we're not trying to define art. We're trying to like appreciate it and appreciate it in all its different forms. And so. You're right. I might I might not be defining it appropriately. And man, if I could ever talk to Yeji one day and she could tell me exactly what her music is, be my guest because I would love that interview. But until that happens, I'm going to keep defining it as whatever I define it as that makes me comfortable enough to talk about it in a discussion like this. So, Well said. Well, with that said, since we're on the hip hop genre, I think it would be great to crack a beer. And pour some out for the homies. Pour some out for the homies. <laughs> oh shit, I actually did. <laughs> party foul. Push ups. Total party foul. Um, and let Anton talk about what beef he dug up. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I originally started going into beef like with like what we talked about, not trying to make it about rap. Um, but I found it hard to find anything I was really passionate about. So a couple things that uh, I, I looked into a little bit deeper, um, the internal conflict that some of the Pink Floyd band members had, um, the internal conflict with uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney when Yoko arrived. And actually that wasn't, based on uh, firsthand accounts of the people involved, there wasn't really Yoko. It was just the fact that John Lennon was changing as a human being. and. How can you fault someone for changing and wanting different things in their life? So, anyways, <laughs> he wasn't the same. He wasn't gonna be the same guy. They no, wanted he's not gonna be. always be the same fucking guy. Yeah. You know. Anyways, that's beside the point. So, there's there's these different you know these different little spats here and there. Um, another one that I thought was kind of interesting: Mozart and Soleri, um, two composers from I don't know, a long time ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, their beef was popularized by the movie Amadeus, that actually, in reality, they were colleagues, they respected each other's art and what they composed, and they actually looked up to one another. Soleri actually challenged himself to be better by listening to Mozart. But anyways, they had a feud that was popularized by novels and, and movies and stuff like that. It's really not a real thing. And so, they're they're not real beefs in my That's mind. It's a romanticized, yeah, yeah. A romanticized beef. Exactly, it's commercial kind of, drama. Actually, it's kind of what I learned about the new movie with about Queen that they actually changed a lot of the details to make it seem much more dramatic. There's actually this is just a funny one. Speaking of beefs, if you've seen the movie Queen, there's a scene where he gets all mad at his manager and fires him because the manager's like, "Hey, you should you should go off and make your own album. You should be the first one from Queen to have his own solo album." I guess in reality, multiple members of Queen had solo albums before. They all did their own. Yeah, no, they all did a bunch of stuff. So it was like an interesting plot point that they like were like, yo, you should be the first and blah, blah, blah. He was like, fuck you, manager. Like, I'm not going to leave Queen. And they're like, they're all doing their own thing in reality. Like, nobody's asking you to like hold the band together. I don't know. It was just, it's a weird plot point that they really melt to make fans more sympathetic with. Okay, so let's get into my first beef. Uh, this is one of my favorite beefs. It doesn't really pan out to be anything major, but it's a fun one. Um, so it starts with uh, Biggie Smalls doing a small interview in a Canadian, uh, for like a Canadian television or a Canadian newspaper. I tried really hard to find this original interview. Um, I wasn't able to find any of the specific uh, quotes from Biggie. 
But in this interview, they listed off a bunch of different rappers, amongst them Ice Cube, MC Ren, uh, a lot of the NWA guys. And then, you know, another one on the list was E-40. So first, uh, he gave... The West uh, Coast. He's yeah. The West Coast. And... So Biggie gave, I think, Easy like a 3 out of 10. He gave Ice Cube like a 2 out of 10. <laughs> but he gave... Oh, he was rating all the West Coast he dudes? Gave it, he was rating all the, the West uh, Coast. But he gave E40. That's a match, bro. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You're lighting up. You're already... That's... Yeah. They, when, when asked about E40, he gave E40 a 0 out of 10. What? A, a 0? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I don't really fuck with that kind of music. That's this is like this is some third hand quotes. By the way, I didn't find the actual article, so this is what a quote of like an old article about the the article. So he says, I don't fuck with that kind of music. So naturally, this upsets E40. He doesn't openly admit to being very upset. One thing that he does say in an old interview is, I'm a fixture from the soil, right? fact very like kind of like question like why is he even saying this shit because even if he doesn't like my music i've been here way longer than fucking biggie has and probably ever will at least in the bay area mm-hmm. so not only was 40 upset uh, a lot of 40s fans were upset but this is where it kind of starts to break down this is where uh, the story that 40 says and the story that is reality kind of don't really line up uh 40 says he's not involved with anything that happens next <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but what happens next is Biggie is actually contracted to do a concert in Sacramento. Uh, so he flies out to Sacramento, or he's already in California. This, this is how, what year is this? Like, do you know? I, like, I do not know. The year was a little ambiguous. Um, so, I mean, but it's it's early in his career. No, it's got to no, be... It's after it probably is his second album. I mean, it's probably... Oh, it's it's mid. I mean, ready or not. Yeah, yeah it's, it's probably, in it. Okay. probably pretty late. So yeah, uh, 40s con- or sorry, uh, Biggie's contract to do a concert in Sacramento um, at an actual concert venue. So that's one kind of like thing where it's like, I feel like 40 had to be involved to even get that going, right? To get Biggie out to some concert venue. Anyways, Biggie arrives at the concert around uh, 10 o'clock or something. Notices there's hardly anybody in the crowd. And again, Biggie was pretty big at the time. So he was pretty shocked that this like was even happening. But, you know, he was a professional. Him and his team were like, well, let's do this anyways. Let's just, you know, blow this fucking building out and have a hell of a good show. Biggie goes on. Almost immediately, the fans, or the, the crowd, I wouldn't say fans, the crowd starts throwing quarters at Biggie on the stage. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what is that? I, I don't know if that's a reference or something or whatever. It Definitely seemed, quarter pounders. Seemed weird. I don't know. It been, something, maybe right? if there were 40 cent pieces, which <laughs> that, you know, that would have been funny. The quarters, I don't really get. But anyway, so they're throwing quarters at him. Uh, Biggie and his his team get real pissed. They, they usher him off stage, they usher him to the back back of the club where the limo's waiting. So uh, they get out to the limo. The manager and Biggie's uh, like security they put him in the limo real quickly, and they notice that the driver of the limo is gone. Then they notice that immediately all the headlights of the cars surrounding them, or in like the parking lot in the back, they start to turn on, and people start to get out of the car and just they, basically the way that one of the security guys describes it is, I just started hearing a a lot of guns cocking and a lot of doors closing basically um so after this a group i guess rushes up on uh the limo uh the security is trying to keep them out but they all have guns pulled out this is 40s maybe crew maybe 
not. They're definitely just some people that are upset about the comments about E40. So they're like, uh, you know, get Biggie out here or you're all gonna die, basically. Uh, the manager's like, no, this is fucking bullshit. I'm gonna call your man. 40 on the phone and him and Biggie are gonna talk it out. So this is Biggie's manager. Biggie gives the phone to one of these guys at the gun. The guy calls up you 40 on the phone. Damn, so it's like, yo, let me talk to your boss. Yeah. He needs a pass from E40. So so at this this point, yeah. So at this point, Biggie had basically been trapped to come into Sacramento. Uh, He had been forced off the stage and he had been put into kind of a trap in his limo with no driver and now is surrounded by guns. The guy that is kind of running this whole thing from 40's end calls 40 up on the phone, hands it through the limo. Now, nobody else is in the limo dig at this time. This is all conjecture. Apparently, they talk for a few minutes. From 40's side, what they talked about is, uh, this is this is 40's recollection. He's like, I was asleep and it was like 11 o'clock at night and I get this phone call and I had no idea what was going on. And Biggie calls me and he was like, hey, I got some of your boys outside. They're about ready to kill me and my my crew we're here like doing a show in Sacramento um what's going on here and from what 40 says is oh I had nothing to do with that let me talk to my boys and I'll end this but what what people more think happened was E40 was more like I heard you talk shit about me and that's fucking bullshit kind of and then uh, this has been a perspective of Biggie after this incident. Biggie was like, no, no, I really like your music, actually. I think you're like a great artist. I fuck with your music. I listen to it. So they talked on the phone. <laughs> this is all conjecture. Nobody really knows what happened. Um, but that's seemingly probably what happened is Biggie maybe backstepped some of his statements and was like, you know what? I didn't mean it. You're a picture from fucking Bay. Like, I shouldn't be talking shit, first right. of all. Don't fuck with the Bay. Um, but anyways, what actually does happen next, the phone comes back out of the car, comes back to the guys running things on 40's end. The guy is furious. He keeps saying, we got him. We got him dead to rights. We can fucking kill him right now. I guess they're just talking on the phone and 40's just like, nope, like this is over, fucking leave him alone. They hand the phone back to the manager. The manager talks to 40 for a second. 40's like, you know what? Like, I'm sorry that this happened to you guys while you're in my neighborhood. I'm going to send two guys from my crew down to protect you while you're in your hotel tonight. And they're going to make sure you guys get to the airport safe tomorrow. So the the gunmen leave uh, Biggie alone. Uh, They all get in the limo. The driver comes back. Two guys from 40's crew show up at the hotel later, stand watch outside the door all night. They make sure that they get into the flight the next morning. Yeah, no no beef after that night, it seemed like. <laughs> well, classy on 40's side, that's for sure. Sending he, some henchmen to like, take care of his... That's what Biggie's uh, kind of perspective was, is what his manager was saying in an interview was like, he was like, you know what? He kind of understood that he talked shit and that he kind of got set up and he could have got played if he didn't play his cards right. But he was like, you know what? E40, you know, he set me up, but he didn't punk out when he, basically when push came to shove and Biggie apologized in a sense. I don't really know if he apologized, but whatever he did. Hashed out, they hashed out their differences. Exactly. Whenever they hashed out their differences, that's when it was kind of more like, yeah, Biggie was like, you know what? I fucked up. Let's hash it out. And and he was happy that E40 kind of took it like a man and was like, yeah, thanks for fucking, you know, showing some respect to the game, basically. Um, and I think that's that's kind of 
legit. I mean, I, I again, I think that was probably one of people's biggest issues with Biggie back in the day was he was a young, cocky, I'm the greatest rapper alive. Like, you don't get to fucking say that as an 18-year-old. Like, and I know, even though he might be, you just don't in that industry. <laughs> like, you don't get to fucking say that. Like, even well, Kendrick Lamar is not fucking saying that about himself. Just like, I don't know. I mean, there's old blood and everything. You just don't. No, you don't talk shit to the old blood. Um, yeah, you don't talk shit to old blood. So the next beef, this is a... Wait, uh, wait you, did, you did two beefs? Yeah, I had to. I oh, don't okay, know. Okay. The no, first no, one, okay. the E41 was just like my favorite beef. And then the second one was too relevant to modern times that I was like, it's, it's I can't pass it up. It's a good one. So, and it was just interesting. Evan and I were just watching the latest SNL with Megan the Stallion. Oh, yeah, had that. How's that? No, I haven't seen that. Fucking. It was a great episode. Great. Overall, great episode. Um, great performance. Uh, but Megan, um, but it, we made a funny comment that Megan might be competing for the same kind of niche market that Nicki Minaj currently occupies as far as that entertainment niche of like really attractive, big booty rapper that's has yeah. like a really dope personality that yeah. you're just like like this is a fucking cool ass person and she of. isn't yeah. afraid to speak her mind she's you know all right so rewind 20 years ago similar thing happening with uh one of i mean at least my favorites of the time lil kim um, mm-hmm. yes. and then tell me tell me who you t- wait 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 wait, wait. Yeah, oh. take a guess. Lil Kim and Foxy Brown. Brown. Foxy Brown. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is my. This is my like. Yeah. Oh. This is the meat of my life, bro. This happened in my life, bro. I was like, yeah. yeah. This went on. Get um, money. Er, so early '90s, Lil Kim hit the scene with Junior Mafia and Biggie. Foxy Brown was a kind of a studio production, a reproduction of Lil Kim. Basically, they saw how popular Lil Kim was, what it was, what kind of niche market she was occupying, and was like, hey, we can find someone just like that for our record, for our studio that works with our, our fucking rappers. And Foxy Brown was that person. So I believe Lil Kim came first. I would like to think she did. Yeah, she did. And yeah, I, so. I gotta say though, can I say though, Hardcore, the album for Lil Kim? Oh, yeah, yeah. I couldn't stop staring at that album. I was listening to the demo. Oh my and God. The CD. Foxy Brown is way hotter. I just gotta say it. No. Oh, no. Oh, we're arguing about that? Yeah. We got beef I, I, on that? I, you know what? You know, you know what? It, you know what? You know what? They're two beautiful ladies, but I feel like Lil Kim owned it. And she, oh, she and, and Foxy was very reserved and very like more. I don't oh, know. She just wasn't reserved. Yeah. You look okay. at pictures let me, and stuff let like me, that. Let me like, paint the picture of Foxy Brown's reservedness. Foxy Brown was notorious for hitting parked cars and other things around her neighborhood in her Range Rover in Flatbush. She also uh, would moon her neighbors and she would attack nail salon employees. That's Foxy Brown. Yeah. All Lil' Kim was known for was blowing every dude she could meet. I got to say Lil' Kim. And that's what I meant. I mean, that's what I, but, but I'm telling you, what did, I'm sorry, did, what did you see on MTV did, uh, when you were watching Foxy Brown or Lil' Kim? I'm sorry. I watched, I saw them trying to flaunt, flaunt shit, and I thought Lil' Kim did it the best. If we're talking about okay. a shit show, if we're talking about a shit show, that's a whole other thing. Like, I'm not looking for the shit show. I wasn't like, oh yeah, and, no, she's a and I gotta, show. I gotta say, Lil Kim just released an album, and she is looking just as fine as ever, man. <laughs> she is amazing. I don't know what she looks. Like, looks is. She looks crazy. I think she looks a little too crazy. She does. And I think look it's crazy because crazy, but I think she's still a gorgeous person. 
So yeah, so Bad Blood just, you know, inherently started to brew from these two coexisting. Um, it was made worse first by Lil C's song, Play Around, um, on June 8th, 1999. Brown took issue with not even, I mean, I guess Lil Kim's verse on Lil C's, C's? I don't really know this. Lil C's, yeah, Lil, Lil C's. C's. Lil yeah. C's track, Play Around, uh, June 8th, 1999. Lil Kim had a verse on there. It wasn't really, I, I, I read it, I listened to it. I wouldn't say it really targeted Foxy, but I could see if you're already having some issue with this person, you might not be happy with it. But it was not made better by a little add-on by fucking Diddy right after Lil Kim's verse. Diddy chimes in, stop trying to sound like her two bitches. Uh, clearly referencing to uh, Foxy Brown, basically saying, stop trying to you know copy Lil Kim. The next little insult came on Kim's song, Notorious K.I.M. This was a year later, uh, 6-27-2000. Again, she basically, Lil' Kim straight out calls out Foxy Brown. Uh, I mean, she, the, whole, the whole verse or the whole, the whole song is kind of generally talking about fake rappers and, and uh, ghostwriting and, and people trying to be real in the industry. Um, but there's some straight up jabs right to Foxy Brown. Uh, this chick running around with a stick-ass gap and then fake-ass raps. <laughs> nice. Referring to Brown ghostwriting. Um, she admittedly uses a ghostwriter for some of her verses. Another verse from Kim. You ain't a star and your record company knows that. Um, again, referencing the fact that the record company is producing Brown as a copy of Lil' Kim. So that all kind of happened 1999-2000. So does that make it almost, uh, <laughs> I mean, it almost sounds like you're saying Lil' Kim can rap, so she talks shit on Fox Brown, who is kind of made a made concoction. Yeah. Well, so I mean, it's almost yeah. legi legitimate. <laughs> I mean, it is. I think yeah. it's very legitimate. Right? It's almost like legitimate. <laughs> and so this is why, beat. this is actually, if you're thinking about it in terms of what I just read to you, like those are not overt references. To Foxy Brown, certainly they're jabs at her, but in a way, it's more realist. Real in what you're saying is, is Lil Kim took this as like, hey, this bitch is trying to step on my turf, yeah. step on my niche industry that I'm fucking dominating right now. She can go fuck herself, so I don't really care that much about her. But so then well, you her, got, her, her, and any, her and anybody else, and really, I mean, yeah. They then don't you got, really, they then you got Foxy Brown's response though. Response, fucking Ooh. verse to all this. Well, okay, so. In a sense, also, that, then as well, that if Foxy Brown never responded, it's almost like nothing would have ever came from this. But since no, Foxy exactly. Brown responded, she she made that all turn she out. She put that yeah. spotlight. And, and it's with her with her super vulgar and very targeted response. It targets basically Lil' Kim directly and, and Diddy for his little shout out on that on that song. Um, but it's a very it's a very targeted response on uh, Capone and Noriega's song "Bang Bang." Uh, they came out just uh, six months after Notorious KM's uh, Conan Noriega's Bang Bang response uh, verse to Kim. Foxy Brown straight up calls out Lil' Kim with verses like pop shit like a cock, lightweight as your rocks, um, which is a reference to Lil' Kim's verse on Mob Deep where she says light as a rock, hard as a cock. Brown goes on to say, you talk slick, fuck all that sneak shit, you and Diddy, y'all killing me with the subliminal shit, bitch. Basically calling out Lil' Kim and P. Diddy for their, I guess, subliminal reference to her in Lil' C's verse on Play Around where 
for him. And he's like, stop, stop, you know, trying to be like her. It's just kind of interesting. And, and to my point is Foxy Brown took the way more aggressive, way more analytical. Oh. If I was a record producer and I wanted to stir up beef between the industry, I would be like, all right, Foxy, you need to come out with a verse that's hard hitting yep. Little Kim and Diddy and fucking put it on Conan Noriega, who are some two hardcore thugs kind of in the industry and fucking that day. Yeah. yeah and fucking and hit him hard kind of. And it was, it was a, is a thought, thought out move by the record industry. It was a, like a, a game to them and it didn't end up turning out well. <laughs> Uh, what probably really pissed people off, and especially Lil' Kim and Lil' Kim's crew, is she had a, and you might be reading it right now, she had a verse that specifically targeted Biggie Small saying, hop off his dick, basically. Or I think that's that's what part of the verse is. He's dead, hop off his dick. Uh, you don't get to use his name for clout anymore, basically. Yeah. And it's kind of like, nah, that's... I mean, first of all, first of all, first of all, let's take out the fact that he was one of the greatest rappers alive. Let's just say he's some no-name guy. That was like Lil' Kim's ex-boyfriend. She has every right to fucking rap about him for years if she wants to. Like, he died. Like, yeah. nobody knows how that is impacting Lil' Kim. Like, she has every well, right and to that's, that's, yeah, no, that's your personal, your personal so, so thoughts for and me, memories, right? Wait, can I, I just read the last one? Can I read the end of that? Is I still pop them thing things and bang, bang, bitch, rep for your hood. <laughs> yeah. No, but but I'm saying if I was more coherent during that time, that kind of that kind of diss on Biggie, like blatantly saying like you don't get to be sad that your ex died. Now nah, that's some that's some cold, not even like human being well, yeah. level shit. Yeah. You know, like that's just you're some talking weird... about deceased people. Yeah, like I don't know. It's like yeah, I don't know, Foxy. That was that was too too cold and not even in a good way. Like. Fucking Ice T is cold with his lyrics, but I've never said he's really gone over the line. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and, well, and like you say, Ice T's making TV shows and chicks banging up car, like you know, driving into cars and shit. Um, but yeah, no, I thought I thought Foxy Brown kind of went over the line. I thought she definitely instigated it in a very tactical way that was trying to really add fuel to the fire. And Bon Jovi's dead. Um. On, no, uh, Van Halen. Oh, Van Halen. Yeah, Van Halen's dead. And Johnny Nash. I can see clearly now. Okay, so this this brings me to the peak of the conflict. Uh, it was at Hot 97. Wilkins Posse came in to record a track. Opponent Noriega and their posse were there to record a track. Well, Lil' Kim was present at this event. So this was on February 27, 2001. They're all at Hot 97. Uh, I guess words get said out front. Capone and Noriega are siding with Foxy Brown, clearly. Lil' Kim siding with herself, of course. <laughs> some beef uh, ends up going, or some, some conflict ends up starting. From the police report, five guns were drawn, 21 shots were fired. One man was shot in the back. Uh, he was released from the hospital later that day. Foxy Brown didn't appear to be there at the time, but she didn't help the situation. So immediately after this event, uh, the police were pretty upset because this was in broad daylight. There were civilians nearby and they felt like this was the peak of the violence sparked by the rap industry kind of in, in their city. And it was kind of like the tipping point where they were like, you know, fuck rap and fuck hip hop and we need to take this under control. Like it's some sort of issue or something. So uh, I was gonna say Foxy Brown didn't help anything because right after this incident, she went on an interview and publicly invited Lil' Kim to do a collaborative song with her and saying, everything's fine with me and Kim and I would love 
if she was on my next album, basically. Um, clearly in antagonizing her. But Kim was there. Kim was at the scene. She did apparently know uh, the people that were involved with the shooting. And she was end up charged with perjury in front of a grand jury and was sentenced to a year in prison and $50,000 fine. And they actually found her by, she, she basically said, oh, I don't know these people. And they were like, oh, well, we had pictures of you at a barbecue with them and you had a video shoot with them. Like, how do you hang out with them so much and you don't even know them? So she basically perjured herself, lied in front of a grand jury, went to prison for that. Damn. But the real reason I wanted to bring this up is what it led to. So that was the, the height of the conflict between Kim and Foxy Brown. Kind of died down after that. Uh, Kim went to prison. But this was just a start for the New York police. Uh, specifically, Rudy Giuliani took great issue to this incident, the mayor of New York at the time. Boo. And uh, yeah, well, that, so that's why I wanted to bring it up. Giuliani's in the news today. Giuliani was the mayor at the time. Thought that this was going to spark violence in the streets or something. Uh, so he commissioned the rappers list, the New York uh, City Police Department uh, list of rappers. This is a list of different rappers, uh, known rappers and rap associates that lived in the, I, I think just the state of New York, or the, I guess the city of New York, uh, based on the list here that I'm reading. Oh, it's a rap unit? They, they launched a ramp unit to track crime and hip hop shows? They, la they launched a rap specific police unit dedicated yeah. to tracking. Holy crap producers, labels, uh, any clubs that would play this music and their arrest warrants, the address of these rappers and any cars that they would drive. This uh, still exists today, this unit in New York City. What's kind of shocking about this is it was tried to stop at the ACLU a few years ago because these kinds of dossiers, these crime dossiers basically is what, what the official term for it is. Um, these are typically only done for uh, crime families or, or big organized crime. Mafia. Yeah. Like so like where you actually have lots of people involved with each other trying to commit crimes. So it's definitely, I mean, if, if you want a clear example of fucking, you know, I don't know, oppression in our society. Right. And like, and, and not even understanding. Racial profiling. Racial profiling. Yeah. Not even understanding a huge component of your, of your cult, of your community and being like, these people are violent criminals it's like these are artists i mean if anything they're expressing themselves yeah they're one of the uh, they're further from criminals than a lot of other people like these are definitely like krs one is the one of the most artistic souls that has ever lived as far as like his philosophies and i don't know and even 40 i mean he talks a lot about having sex with different women but he's had the same wife since he was 18 years old too short same thing fucking raps about misogyny and and crazy shit had the same girlfriend for fucking 30 years or something and it's just interesting that these are the people that are labeled as like criminals and that are being actively tracked by the right. city of new york and and the reason that they weren't sued by for it is because the materials were considered to be educational um, for white police officers who didn't understand Jesus what hip-hop culture was about so now they use it as an educational material, but the hip hop police still technically exists. It's a, it's a branch of, of the New York um, Police Department. Wow. Um, but let me uh, go through, I, I found the original list that they came up with in 1999. Anyways, these are the names of the rappers that were on the original rappers list of the New York City Police Department. Sean Carter. Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Jeffrey Atkins. 
Curtis Jackson. Uh, Curtis Blow. Curtis Blow, yeah. No. No, no? really? Curtis Jackson, come on. Oh, oh 50 Cent, 50 Cent. Yeah, oh, my God, duh. Yeah, come on, guys. Sean Combs, Nazir Jones. That's Nas. Uh, ooh, Earl Simmons. Well, that's uh, 40, uh, isn't it? No? Earl Stevens oh, is the 40. Yeah, damn it. Uh, Simmons, isn't it? Um, Run DMC? Oh, DMX. DMX. There we go. Oh, Ooh, okay, this one this one's weird. Trevor Smith. Oh yeah, this one threw me off. <laughs> I thought it was Kid a white guy. I thought it was a white guy. Trevor Smith. I don't think Oh, is this Travis? No. Well, let's see if I can uh, describe this him. He's got dread, dreadlocks. Uh no Buster Rhymes. Buster Rhymes. Boom. Okay. <laughs> okay, this is a weird one too. William Drayton. Would not expect this guy. Yeah, he's a character from Maiden. Dr. Dre? William Drayton. He wears, oh, this is all East Coast stuff, right? He wears oh, a yeah. big clock on his neck. Oh, oh wow. fucking uh, Flavor Flav? Yep. John Jackson is fabulous. Uh, Kaim Akasi Holly is Capone. Ooh, let's see if you can get uh, this one. Victor Santiago. Uh, is it? I just told you Capone. Nori. Uh, it's Nori. Oh, nice. Victor Santiago. Uh, we got Cameron Giles is Cameron. Yeah, that was Cameron. Uh, then these last three are are not really rappers or associates. Irving Lorenzo is Irv Gotti, uh, one of the co-founders of Murder Inc. Damon Dash, uh, Dame Dash, co-founder Dame Dash. of Rockefeller Records. Yeah. Cream Burke, also co-founder of Rockefeller. Um, so this caused a lot of controversy, not only with the people on the list, because it didn't really outline who was arrested. It just was, it, it, it outlined them all the same, basically, whether or not they had arrests in their file or whether or not it was just a picture of their driver's license. It was all portrayed as these are criminals that work together. Kind of. It's had negative effects on clubs and radio stations because these are also listed as associated acts or, or would play the music of these artists. Um, so the police would more heavily traffic these clubs. But yeah, it was not it was not a good thing to be on this list. It, it made a lot of people unhappy, and uh, they were able to get away with it, claiming it was educational materials. Is it, so was that the whole list yeah, that we know of? Yeah. Yeah, that's imagine a bunch of, of white cops and sitting the, in a boardroom. Yeah, yeah. In like in 2001, being like, let's find all the rappers. It's like they probably well, went to like two bars. We're like, who's playing all the? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying. It's like the who's who. It's like they could, you could have got all those CDs at fucking Warehouse Music at the time. Yeah. No, or, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it was all people no. they they knew was in the news and had a ra- and a record. That's or it. Or who's on MTV and yeah. they knew lives. And on. had a, and yeah, exactly. And they, and like you say, educational. So you, as long as they have a record, it's like police business educational. That is actually probably how they got away with it. Yeah. It's yeah, a difference. Totally. The difference with somebody who's on the TV versus. Oh, that's Gangstar. Nobody knows who the fuck they are. I mean, not saying that's what it was yeah. back then, but yeah. But they don't have a record. They don't have a record. You know, yeah. Or yeah maybe yeah. they're not being played on MTV, so they're not at the front of your face or something. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, that's why it was like a who's who of what's on the fucking. Beeping. TRL or whatever. TRL, nice. Total request live. Thanks for tuning in to Genre Neutral. This was the first half of our beef episode. Join us next week for the second half where we promise to talk less about hip-hop and more about all genres of music.